Welcome to Bat Therapy, the psychology of Batman, superheroes, and other comic book characters. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. Baby, I compare you to a kiss from a rose <laughs> on the gray. So we're talking Batman forever today, right? Oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm, that's going to be my favorite thing for this whole week. <laughs> I'm a better singer than that. I, I did it bad on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Batman forever. We're going to talk about Dr. Chase Meridian. Who is the, I assume, psychologist in this. I'm not sure if they ever technically say what she is. They just talk about her specialization. But before we get started, not to already sidetrack us twice (laughs) before we get started. But for this movie, I just have to say that as good as Tommy Lee Jones is, Billy D. Williams, come on. Why was he not Two-Face? Yeah, you know, it's funny because they they had like a whole fall through with that because they also had Marlon Wayans as he was supposed to be Robin. Oh. Yeah, he was supposed to be Robin. Billy D. Williams was supposed to be Two-Face. And then I guess it all fell through. And then once Joel Schumacher took over, he had a different idea for the next batman films which is why if you know if you notice how quirky like batman forever and batman and robin are apparently he made those as sequels to the adam west batman you know so that fits so much better that makes so much more sense because when you watch them you kind of have to say really right and (laughs) I say it so many times in Batman Forever. I say it even more in Batman and Robin. But Batman Forever, I'm just like, really? Because it was the 90s, and so Jim Carrey is just the most popular person on the planet. (laughs) And they were like, what can we do with this? And they literally did everything with it. Have you read Batman 89 yet? I haven't. I I have the issue. I have the issues and I just got super busy, but I need to go back to it because it looked like a lot of fun and I was in love with the covers and so I made sure to have it added to my comment list and I want to say I have all the issues so far. I just haven't had a chance to either. So so for people listening who do want to see Billy Williams as Two Face and my understanding is it's essentially a, a continuation of Tim Burton's version. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So we haven't read it yet, but we have it on our lists. So yeah. So yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is Two Face. And it's so it's it's always so funny whenever people take a funny gist to things like multiple personality disorder because throughout the movie he's just quirky. He's it's it's it doesn't exactly. ever seem serious. It just seems like a joke. I I I I took notes. Because I'm a nerd, a nerd on nerd <laughs> action, and I wrote at the for the end of this movie, Harvey doesn't seem 
dissociative identity disorder to have dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder in this movie they they just talk about a guy who can never make decisions and talks about two extremes in his person but you only see this one side of him i i would say it's the least multiple personality disorder version of harvey dent that i think i've seen do you think okay i was gonna ask because i feel like dark knight harvey dent I feel like I didn't really see multiple personalities with him. I just saw like a bunch of rage Mm. and he had the scarring and everything. Like he looked like Two-Face, but it was, it was more of him relying on flipping the coin as like fate would have things go more than seeing like the Batman animated series, Big Bad Harv. Mm-hmm. versus Harvey Dent. Yeah, there's there's certain storylines. Oh gosh, I'm forgetting what is it the long Halloween where it has it, it kind of shows Harvey Dent moving toward Two Face. Am I thinking of the right one? Yes, I believe so. so. Yes, I believe so. I think that's a really great representation, kind of showing these different sides and different personalities. There, there's definitely these really good representations that I, I could see, okay, okay, dissociative identity story might be going on here. But yeah, a lot of times it's, okay, half his face is burned and the other half isn't. And he uses a coin to make decisions. That's not having multiple personalities. Right. It, they, they, it's, it's kind of a gimmick that they yeah, do. Yeah, it's more of a gimmick and it hits more on... I don't know, seemingly order to chaos kind of stuff rather than yes. there are separate parts of me that are split from each other. Yes. And, and and here's the thing, that kind of stuff can be subtle. It's not always the, the movies and everything. They like to make things seem really extreme. And so you mm-hmm. see these huge shifts. Uh, it's not always like that. It can be very subtle. It, it can take a while for people to fully pick up on the fact that someone has multiple personality or nowadays dissociative identity disorder. So I'm not saying that Two-Face has to be super obvious about it. But yeah, I think people kind of play into the coin a bit much and just say, see, look, he has to choose one way or the other. And that makes it multiple personality. No. Right. And he also talks about himself. He uses plural pronouns and it's in a way. Which some people do when they they have dissociative identity disorder. And I was going to, that was going to be my question because I know that people have preferred pronouns and and Mm -hmm. things like that, but this is something that's different. And so I was going to ask if people with multiple personality disorders, how often do they talk about themselves as a couple or a group, Mm. if you will? I can't, I cannot speak to that. I don't know the numbers just generally, Mm. but it, it is something that different people, once again, like you were saying, have different preferences for things. And if you are someone who recognizes you have these different personalities and are working to integrate them, essentially have them function together. So imagine that your body is being shared by multiple people and they kind of swap out. The ideal with that would be, okay, we swap in a way that makes sense. We're able to share information. It, 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 we work as a whole pretty well together. And so in, in that way of trying to integrate some some folks might prefer something like an us or a we versus an i because that's their personal experience okay gotcha 
Gotcha. Yeah, that that's that's pretty that's pretty interesting. I, I gotta tell you, I don't know a lot about that particular disorder. And unfortunately it's one of those things where the only thing I know about it is how it's portrayed in the media with things like let's see well jim carrey played a character like that uh in a movie called me myself and irene back in the either late nine in the 90s or 2000s let's see of course mm, we have mm-hmm. harvey dent uh and james mcavoy in the movie split he i think he had that disorder and so you all you see is what hollywood wants you to see but i honestly i feel bad i don't really know a lot about the real Disorder. So many, many people don't. In fact, there are so few people with this diagnosis that most providers don't even. Um, so I've had a few experiences with folks that have dissociative identity disorder or something that seems to relate to it a bit. In some ways, it's kind of similar to other things other mental health diagnoses that people misunderstand where a lot of it is just being able to listen and take someone as a person or people if that's how they're identifying as they are and just kind of helping that person supporting them and helping them function as best they can but it 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 is a rarer one that even within the mental health field there's a lot of just a a lot we don't know and and a lot of people don't have the training to help these folks so it can be tricky and and yeah it's it's funny because it's like the most popular mental health diagnosis for pop culture to pull out of their hat if you if i had a nickel for every time back then multiple personality disorder now dissociative identity disorder popped up you know it's everywhere and yet it's actually one of the most rare ones out there and you rarely see it but it definitely is the pop culture favorite so that was going to be my next question before we jumped into dr meridian so there's multiple personality disorder and then dissociative identity disorder same thing those are the same thing, but they just, the name changed yep. at some it's point. It's this it's sort of like how you might hear people talk about, oh gosh, now I've got to remember what it used to be called, manic depressive. So people might talk about manic depressive. It's now mm-hmm. bipolar disorder. Okay. So there, yeah, there are certain terms that change over time and I, I, I'm not an expert in what goes into those decisions and whatnot. A lot of times there's a whole lot of people coming together and making decisions to go into the diagnostic who's it's and what's it's. But essentially, yeah, there over time names for things can change. And and some of the symptoms and nuances of it might change too as we learn more over time. But yeah, m- multiple personality disorder is essentially the older term for dissociative identity disorder. And so dissociative identity disorder, the reason it's called that is there's a dissociative component. So essentially losing track of reality. uh, you're, You're not taking in what's going on around you. And it's one of a number of different dissociative types of disorders someone might have where you lose chunks of time. You're just not connected to what's happening. Okay. Which actually happens a little bit for Bruce Wayne in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that one of the things they they say about Dr. Chase Meridian in this movie is that she's brought in as the word is an advisor, but like she comes in to help. 
Yes, consultant. That's the word. I can never think of it when I'm being recorded, right? <laughs> but yeah, she comes in as a consultant and she they she says they say she's an expert in multiple personality mm-hmm. disorder. So they bring her in to deal with Harvey Dent. So my favorite part so they when they introduce her because I once again I write notes because I'm I'm a nerd on nerd here. Uh, so she specializes in quote abnormal psychology and multiple personality disorder, which I find hysterical because saying so. So it, I think she's a psychologist since they talk about abnormal psychology is what she specializes in. So I'm going to assume she's a psychologist. I never really caught them specifically saying, but. It's essentially an older term that would essentially be saying, uh, yes, uh, Amelia Brown specializes in clinical psychology. Okay, I mean, technically that's true, but they could have brought in anybody. (laughs) That's a very broad umbrella there uh, that they provide. And I said specializes usually means you kind of focus in a little bit more. But then they hit on the multiple personalities like, okay, okay. So, yeah, they they bring her in just specifically for that, but she she's <laughs> she's kind of she she's kind of all over the place in this movie a little bit though, right? She, does she work in this movie? Uh, yeah, I I guess because like it's they bring her in as a consultant, but she's also like a a therapist, mm-hmm. I guess. Or either she's a therapist or she just does therapy with all of her boyfriends. Maybe, yeah, I so guess. Because... She does more <laughs> dating in this movie than she does actual work. <laughs> she really does. And it's it's so it's so bad. Like I feel like these these early comic these early comic book movies just did not know what to do with and women. I say early comic yes I say early but even when we talked about like Batman Begins with Rachel Dawes and everything I'm mm-hmm. like they still weren't doing they still weren't quite they did better get, getting it getting it right they did do better but they it's like they still can't just be like oh yeah she's a a, a woman that's really good at her job and guess what? She has to sleep with someone on her job, right? And it, it like, they still do that. And this time, it just so happens that Batman is working with her. Man, she's, but, she thirsts after him mighty fast. Oh my god, the thirst was real with her. <laughs> oh my god, like, the moment he gets there, he's like, what's going on, Two-Face? And she's like, what's up? And I'm like, there's people dying. Like, there's people... Like, and by the way, there's a vault hanging in the air. And he refers to her as naive, but insightful because he's read up on her stuff. And yes. I I would not be attracted to that person. I'd say, well, you've got to stick up your ass. Get out. Right. Like as soon as he as soon as he said that, like, I remember I was like, what a douchey thing I to know. say. Like, wow. What was that? Like, whoa, Batman. Yeah. Like, and then who, they seem to agree you? on so many things. I'm like, okay, so it it was so weird, but he's just like he the way he approaches her is just like, ugh, another woman after me again. Like he's just like, it's the car, right? Chicks dig the car, <laughs> and I'm like, the car is cool, but Keaton digs the car. Why are y'all having this conversation yeah. right now? Yeah. <laughs> like... So yeah, there there's not too much information about her in this. So she specializes in multiple personality disorder and seems to be kind of focusing on she definitely seems to focus on a lot of trauma stuff. So cuz she's also interested in what 
what's going on with Batman that drives him to feel like he has to essentially, I think she even refers to it as torturing himself every night, going out there, putting himself at yes. risk. And, uh, you know, she talks about just kind of what what's the background going on behind these characters. And despite her never seeming to actually work except for five minutes of the movie, the snippets she's in when she's dating and whatnot or interacting with Bruce Wayne and Batman and everything. I think one of the things that draws her to or draws him to her in the end, she's actually very insightful. She picks up on things very quickly and kind of puts them out there she and it, it throws him off. She does. She is very insightful, which is why I thought it was kind of strange that she didn't instantly realize that Bruce Wayne was Batman. Like mm. she was, she, she is very, but yeah, she's very insightful. And, but there were so many times when she would be talking to Bruce and I'm like, did Bruce just forget that he's not supposed to be telling everyone that he's Batman? <laughs> because everything he's saying right now seems to scream at night I'm Batman, like every, <laughs> everything. And so, yeah, you're right. She's, she's very, very insightful. Like the things she notices uh, and the things that stick out, but I'm like, but she, but it, it's kind of like that commercial. Do you know why these kids love cinnamon toast crunch? Like it's right there on the nose that Bruce Wayne is so Batman. <laughs> Although I will say, uh, so, so he enters her office by breaking down the door because it does sound like, I mean, she's working out in an office and you hear that outside of a room. I don't care if you're Batman or not. That's going to sound kind of concerning. So anyway, he busts into the room and he looks over and he looks at an ink blot image she has on the wall because, you know, once again in the movies, uh, you know, there's got to be multiple personality disorder and there's got to be something about Rorschach in there. So yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a little bit of everything. There, yeah. What else? What else? I think you have to have the, the, the Newtonian balls on the desk oh, too. Go. Like you got to have those, think, yeah, uh, maybe a little waterfall. There you go. Like there something. You go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's like, you know, are you into bats? And she says, well, actually it's an ink blot. So the question is, are you into bats? And I'm like, that ink blot clearly looks like a bat. Come on. It's clearly a bat, right? I'm like, oh man, maybe I'm Batman. Like, I see a bat too. Like, right? We're all seeing like, bats here. Come on. Right. It's like, yeah, like that's not a Rorschach. That is clearly a silhouette <laughs> of a bat. Like, I think you're into bats, Doctor Meridian. Like, let's be real here. <laughs> Which was very clear the moment she met Batman, actually. Right. Oh, Who's she kidding? Oh my god. Y'all, the thirst. If bad. you haven't seen the movie, well, the thirst was real. Uh, I just could not believe it. <laughs> when. <laughs> when Two Face bursts in to the 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 gala that they're at, and he's like robbing people and shooting up the place, and Batman gets there to like save the day, and she just comes up to him and she's like, "Meet me at my building tonight at midnight." And it's like, <laughs> really, really, right? You're gonna do this right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you could. But it was funny because. They they did this thing where it's like clearly she's very very thirsty, but also she is pretty good at her job. Yeah, yeah. And I I appreciated that. And and you know she's not there to consult about Batman, so she's not it's essentially doing the sleeping with the client thing that is also the very common trope within all of this stuff. Uh, so I, I I do appreciate that, although she does 
at some point talk about how intriguing it would be to write a book about Batman <laughs> and, yeah. and what goes on behind the mask. And, you know, so it, it is one of those. I, I bet the mystery of him is very enticing to her as well. It's probably part of it. Yeah. But she, she's she's kind of a, uh, like a, 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 a jack of all trades in this movie, though, because at one point it's like they introduce her as an expert on multiple personality mm-hmm. disorder. Then after that, she's giving Bruce therapy. Then after that, her and Bruce are solving riddles mm-hmm. together. So <laughs> right? I wouldn't say that she provides him therapy, but I would okay. say that the line gets a tiny bit blurred where so so he yeah so he approaches her asking about the messages from the riddler so essentially kind of as the police consultant taking advantage of of that piece for these kind of oddities going on and then from there it leads to kind of those conversations about his repressed memories and things that are coming up for him and she doesn't do therapy with him, but she definitely kind of lends him, I think, some advice that's very much informed by her her knowledge as, as a yes. psychologist, as a therapist. Definitely, definitely. And then, of course, like throughout all of this, it's it's just it's a it's a very funny movie because throughout all of this, even when we're trying to like, I, I, as I watch this movie, I'm trying to break it down, and I'm like, oh, that could be insightful. Maybe we could talk about that. But Jim Carrey was just running all over the screen <laughs> in in this movie, and my first thought was, if anybody was in a mental health crisis, the last person they need around them is Edward Nigma. Like he is just. He is just so chaotic in this movie, his, like every single moment. But it was brilliant. It's Jim Carrey. It's it's so his, him. His Riddler is so the Riddler. I find to actually be a character that seems to vary very widely based on mm-hmm. what what the source content is. And and what I found interesting about this Riddler is he really had some interesting identity issues going on okay it wasn't me i was gonna ask i was gonna ask because yeah okay go ahead i'm listening so (laughs) i'm sorry i don't know it's not there's there are certain things that don't fall cleanly into diagnosis by any means but there's definitely some identity blurring and almost almost a it's not dependency, but he's almost dependent upon someone else's identity to kind of decide where to go next. I'm thinking about how he starts taking on Bruce Wayne's persona. Yes. Yes, he does. He does do that because when we, when we first meet him, he's just this quirky scientist Mm -hmm. that is just obsessed with Bruce Mm -hmm. Wayne. Remember that you hired me directly. Mm hmm. Yeah, he was just obsessed with Bruce Wayne. And then after that, he, of course, comes up with his Riddler persona. And then as the Riddler, him and Two-Face are robbing things. But on the other side of that, he's just getting, he's gathering money so he can build his factory and his TV boxes. And once the TV boxes take off, though, 
you see Edward Nigma like in the public mm-hmm. and he's just like, look at me. I'm in my tuxedo and I'm sitting, I'm right next to Bruce Wayne and I'm better than Bruce Wayne. Look at me. Like he's so. No, no, no. He's not better than Bruce Wayne. He is a better Bruce Wayne is what he's trying to prove. Because he, he even puts a mole on his face. The fake mole. Oh, my God. He so did. What's so oh what's so. What a movie. I know. What's so interesting <laughs> about his character is there is this obsessive quality that happens that, that starts off seemingly innocent enough where he's really interested in pleasing Bruce Wayne. And then there is what he sees as a rejection uh, uh, by Bruce Wayne, which he takes very, very hard. So it, it creates this rift for him that you wouldn't necessarily expect from the outside because, you know, of course, okay, you're, you're experimenting, you're a scientist or whatever, you're doing your technology. Sometimes they're going to say, great. Other times they're going to say, nope, scrap this idea. But he takes it very personally. And, and this connection that he saw breaks very intensely for him because he was feeling a stronger connection than was actually there. And then it seems like his reaction to this is to actually try and become and replace Bruce Wayne. Right. And that's a, yeah. And that's a good, that's, that's a really good point. And so looking at dissociative identity disorder, would you say that uh, Edward Nigma's character shows shows it more so than Harvey Dent's character in this movie, or is that too is that too far to say? I wouldn't say that it's dissociative identity disorder for him. Okay, it seems like he's he's not at a point where it's creating this additional persona that mm-hmm. is separate from Edward Nigma. Uh, that, I mean, essentially someone who has dissociative identity disorder has multiple personalities that combine within the same body that, that kind of swap through. Now, what I will say though, is that he's got some potential for something to be going on where he, given the trajectory you see, if it had kept going and actually in some ways with the brain thing getting messed up and at the end he says he's Batman, he almost kind of does take that next re- next step where it doesn't seem like he's necessarily adding a personality versus replacing his own in, in this odd yeah. way where he's becoming so obsessive that he's trying to take on the traits where Edward Nigma disappears and Bruce Wayne batman starts taking over and i yeah i don't know where that would i don't know where that would fit i don't know if there's a clean spot for that in in our diagnostic stuff because because my next question to you because one thing i always notice anytime there's there's the subject of of multiple personality there's always a good one and an evil one Mm. and i feel like that's not that that can't really be the case when it comes to dissociative identity disorder it it isn't necessarily oh this is the evil personality right. and this is the the good personality right yeah this, this is not how people work yeah very right. rarely do you have someone you're like this is a pure angel and this is a demon person and and right. it's going to be the same there so so the theory behind dissociative identity disorder is that there's trauma that happens usually within childhood when 
your just ability to cope, you're much more limited because your brain's not fully developed, because you're limited on your resources and uh, you have to rely more on more simplified, simplified is not a great word, but some of our more basic defense mechanisms and ways to cope. So things like fantasizing uh, is used a lot by kids or repression. So repressing or suppressing memories, um, this dissociative component. And so what can happen is that in extreme situations where the child's not able to manage, a different persona pops up to take the place and hopefully better manage whatever situation it is. And and so just like with people, there's a lot of variability and just different characteristics that those personas might have. But yeah, I would agree with you that it doesn't really make sense to be, here's your really good person, here's your bad person. It would be more, okay, this person can sometimes get us into trouble. <laughs> this person over here doesn't <laughs> tend to get us into any trouble. And at the same time, probably all of them have their pros and cons and you know, there's, there's a reason that, that they're there. Um, and yeah. also a lot of times, you know, there's variability in how many, uh, personalities there might be as well. So a lot of times there, there can be more than two. So that also kind of lends to the complexity of, it's not really a good, you know, a- angelic, demonic, good, bad kind of thing. I don't, I feel like with Dr. Meridian being an, an expert in, for this movie multiple personality disorder i feel like i i wish i could have seen more agreed i wish i could have seen more of it because like i said i feel like two facing this movie was kind of a bust like it was it was more of a it was very much a, a joke and even at the end with with him it was so weird how they did it because i'm like did batman just kill two-face because he he knew what would happen if he just threw a bunch of coins he throws a bunch of coins mm. into the air when two-face is trying to make a decision and two-face reaches for all of them and then falls to his death and i'm like you i'm pretty sure you knew what was gonna happen there right like you just you just killed the guy, but then I thought about it like as soon as that happened, and I'm like, this doesn't feel like multiple personality disorder as much as just someone that cannot make a decision. Yeah, yeah. It se- right? it seemed like there was more. I mean, there was a lot of chaos going on with him, but it didn't seem to be because you're switching between different personas or personalities. I I don't think we saw Harvey Dent peek out once. In this whole thing. And so usually when we think about dissociative identity disorder when it comes to Two-Face is there's there's the Two-Face villain and then there's Harvey Dent. And the interplay between those two are kind of shifts between uh, versus here it, it, it seems fully Two-Face. It doesn't mean Harvey Dent's not going on and we just haven't seen it here. But yeah, the, the flipping of the coin, even though it's the two sides and... It might be choosing between doing something bad or not doing something bad. Yeah, that doesn't really fall into what I would think of as kind of normal, what we would expect from representations of of this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you don't really see the Harvey side because there's one part in the movie. I can't remember the exact line, but he says something. He's like, Bruce, you've always been a good friend. Like, and 
Oh, he yeah, says that, yeah. and but then after that, I think he like tries to shoot him or something like like it wasn't really. It was like that little snippet, like oh yeah, I remember the past. I completely remember yeah. the past, and I completely have an idea of what's going on, but. I am mm-hmm. two-faced yeah. now. So a lot, some of them, it seems like a transformation. There are some that also make it seem more, is, is it dissociative identity disorder or is it some sort of psychotic process that's come on with everything? Which actually, a lot of times you can kind of think of as cousin diagnoses. They, they can be more similar in certain ways than you think where, um, there might be a lot of personas you're dealing with with psychosis, but it's not a part of your own identity. But there can be some kind of similar experiences that people with these different diagnoses might share. Um, but there are certain interplays where when when Two-Face comes on, he's this voice in Harvey Dent's head that Harvey is interplaying with. And so in those cases, it's kind of a, is there a psychotic process overlaying here? Where is where is it a personality, separate personality versus when is it hearing a voice that you see as a separate entity? So yeah, there's a lot of different kind of subtle layers that can happen with the Two-Face character depending on how he's portrayed. Honestly, I feel like the only time I've seen him portray the correct way with the dissociative identity disorder batman the animated series i feel like batman the animated Mm -hmm. series did it really well with the concept of big bad harv Mm -hmm. coming out after a traumatic event and then from time to time still shifting between big bad harv Mm -hmm. and and harvey yes and and so Those, those times when someone comes across harvey dent again and they're able to connect with him. Yeah, those are more times where it where it would kind of line up more. But once again, popular culture makes these things seem like much more obvious shifts than often it might be. A lot of times it can be a lot, very, very subtle, a lot more subtle, a lot harder to pick up on. Uh, and it can actually, especially for someone who's been dealing with it for a number of years, you know, might take people around them a while to kind of realize there's anything going on so yeah i would say that those are are the better representations but just that friendly reminder that not not everything is that extreme either i got you yeah and so i enjoy batman forever it's one of those (laughs) it's one of those guilty guilty pleasure movies and i think that as the as the batman movies went on they did I think they did better with the with the the, the female characters yeah. because I felt like she was a lot more prominent than than like Vicky Vale was as far as because Vic I feel like Vicky Vale was there and she was just constantly just either screaming or being saved. Yeah. And then the next movie, of course, they did. I think I thought they did Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah pretty well too because she was just like i'm just not gonna be a victim anymore this is getting old and then in this one they were like okay we don't we're what are we gonna do we're gonna bring in dr chase meridian who they did actually end up bringing into the comics later oh they did in like yeah and it was way later on because it was a few it was like 2014 Mm. they brought her in after let's see it was like legends of the dark knight they they brought her in and then in batman fear state Mm -hmm she actually takes over Arkham. 
Ah. She actually is placed in charge of Arkham uh, in af- after Fear State is over. So they bring her in, and it's she's she's not in a ton of of issues. She's probably in like a dozen or so issues, but they did actually bring her in and base her off of the character from Bat Batman Forever, and she's a criminal psychologist in the okay, comics. So that's nice to hear because I, I agree. It Most of her in the movie doesn't really show much of what she can do. They kind of throw in a few things here and there to show that she can go tit for tat with Batman. Yeah. But don't really use her skill set much at all considering her character was introduced as coming in to take on such a role. I, I, I actually think even though she was brought in for Two-Face, it was a huge missed opportunity when... Bruce Wayne introduces her to the Riddler component because she could have been a really great kind of subplot with developing more of an understanding of the Riddler as his character developed. But, you know, what can you do? That would have been good. But in and it's funny because, like you said, every time I think, oh, wow, they really got to dig into her character. They cut away because they're like, nope, we got to show you that Robin can do karate with his laundry. <laughs> And which is God is such a weird that's the weirdest scene to me. Y'all, I actually found that clip after I when I was watching I found that clip on YouTube and I texted it to yep. you to you and I was just like, What the hell is this? Like what is happening? <laughs> my favorite part is he's telling right Alfred, now. No, 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 I can do my own laundry. And then to prove his point, he essentially does a rock ballad weird funky twisty thing to dry off his clothes which were very very wet after coming out of the washing machine i noticed it too i was like did this washing machine not have a spin setting (laughs) like that those clothes are soaking wet like i (laughs) i have so many questions about this movie i think we're gonna have to do like a uh Mystery Science Theater style riff oh, of, of this one because I, there's so many different yes. things that I noticed Let's do it. about this. Where I'm like, this movie's a hot mess express. Let's do it. Right, love it. <laughs> All right, so do we have a a mindful nerd moment? Of course. For Batman Forever. So what I was thinking of, I know we didn't hit on it much, but I was thinking about. You know, you were mentioning Dr. Chase Meridian helping Bruce Wayne. And so there are these moments during the movie where he's having flashes of the past, memories of his parents dying. And so there seems to be kind of some dissociation, losing track of what's going on around him. Some, as I was saying before, he's flashing back to some of these moments. And so I was thinking it would be good to do a grounding exercise for a mindful nerd moment. Using the uh, the little dream dolls that she had that she said help with bad dreams because he was really drawn to that, you know, when it came to dealing with all this, which, by the way, so she says they're Malaysian dream wardens. Um, I Googled it and at least on Google, this doesn't exist. So they might have completely made this thing up. Which to me is a bit of a pet peeve because I hate when people make Yikes. things out, make things up about my the work I do. So I'm guessing that if this is made up, people in Malaysia might not love it. Uh, so I apologize if Yikes. that's really bad. So maybe maybe it's just not a well known thing, and you can only find it in the native language. Uh, but my guess is maybe they purely made it up. 
Um, so oh. my apologize, my apologies for anyone who is Malaysian out there. Um, I, I just want to use the example of this doll. So you don't have to think of it as a Malaysian dream warden if that's not a real thing. So it's essentially this little doll. It's half black. It's half white. It, it's kind of a little figure. And so it seems to have kind of a smooth body. And then it has this kind of flat, almost crown that seems to go around the head portion. And I think it rattles a little bit if you move it. So it's got a lot of nice things about it. It really drew Bruce Wayne in. Um, he was also drawn to the fact that it theoretically helps with bad dreams. So I wanted us to just pretend that you're Bruce Wayne, you're starting to have a memory come up for you and it's really not a good time. It's overwhelming you, it's pulling you out of focus, but you really need to be in the moment. Let's say two faces jumping in front of you or people are getting blown up at the circus or you know one of the many things going on in this movie. So we're gonna practice focusing in on this doll to help get through that moment when you're kind of losing track and starting to dissociate a bit. So as per usual, we will sit in, in a position that is comfortable, uh, so not too tense, but you want to make sure you're still kind of sitting, sitting upright. And if you're comfortable with it, closing your eyes or just relaxing your gaze and just focusing on your breath to help us to just focus in on the mindful mirror moment. So imagine that you're Bruce Wayne. You're in an important moment. It might be at the circus and Two-Face is starting to yell. It might be, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're having a wonderful dinner with Chase and you're wanting to enjoy it, but you're in a moment that you, you need to be staying in and you're starting to feel one of those memories from the past creep up and it's pulling your focus you're starting to get overwhelmed and you're just needing something to ground you a bit. So you have the, the doll with you. And what you do first is you grab it with your hand and just imagine what it would feel like. Feeling where it's smooth, where there might be edges to it, where it's flat, where it's round. Just using your, your fingertips to take in all the different shapes of the doll, as well as what the material feels like. You might notice a temperature or a change in temperature as you, the longer that you hold it. You may notice that different parts have different textures and just noticing those, those differences. Then you move the doll around a little bit so you can hear that little bit of rattle that comes with the crown. And just honing in on that sound, pulling you into what's right here with you in this moment right now. Staying in the present with the sound of that little rattling noise. You might move it faster a few times to quicken that sound. And then slow your pace, trying out different rhythms to the sound. Now open your eyes and look at the doll, noticing where the black meets the white, 
Noticing the curves and the ridges that you were feeling in your hand before. And taking in all the little details of the doll. Just as an opportunity to help ground you in the present moment. And just take one deep breath as you hold the image of the doll and the feel of the doll, moving it, hearing a little bit of that sound one last time before we shift out of this moment. Now I invite you to just take a few deep breaths, move in your chair a little bit, just get yourself kind of used to shifting from Bruce Wayne back to you. And when you're ready, opening your eyes and we'll wrap up this podcast. So w one of the things I really like about these kind of mindful nerd moments is when you're you're more or less hyper-focusing on one object mm -hmm. and just taking your mind off of everything around you and only focusing on this thing. What's so, what's so good about those kind of mindful nerd moments is you, it, it, as long as something is around you, yes. you could do this exercise. You could do it with a stuffed animal. Mm -hmm. You could do it with a lego set you can do it with the transformer a book like you can you can hyper focus on anything like i'm looking around my room i see like pop figures i see <laughs> comic books movies video games but any of it like when you're thinking about like the texture and you're just kind of imagining how it feels i feel like this is an exercise that you could do yeah wherever and that's the thing is usually there's something around you and and yeah for bruce wayne in that moment maybe that doll is something useful maybe it's a battering maybe it's i don't know uh, what else does he have hanging around <laughs> whatever he else yeah. he's got going on over there in the mansion i'm sure he's got plenty of stuff but yeah you can use anything and and exactly having just a pause a moment where you just hone in on one thing to just kind of bring the tension down a bit because sometimes our minds are going all over the place and that, that can, when we're getting triggered, pull us really far back into something else. And if we, thinking about the past, processing a trauma isn't a bad thing, but there's a difference between processing and that memory just fully taking over and overwhelming you. And so how do you just simplify things in that moment so that you don't get too overwhelmed? That's, yeah, that's a really good point. It's funny because I thought about like what would be a good, what would have been a good time to use that in the movie. And the only, the first thing I thought of was at the very beginning when uh, Batman just pull, uh, pulls a guy's hearing aid out to, oh, yeah. hook a, to like hook a lock. I'm, and I just imagined Batman like giving it back to him and he's like, what is happening to <laughs> me right now? Yeah. I'm inside of a vault full of acid. I mean, think about how you... How, how do I regain yeah. my composure? Well, and, and your mind is on, on all the different things going on. But in this moment, I got to really listen in on this hearing aid so I can crack this safe and get us, get us out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So how do I hone in so that I'm, I'm not taking in so much information that my brain overloads? Yeah. Yes. Um, did you know that Two-Face had a yin-yang... Uh, parachute did you catch that i did not catch that 
<laughs> but I'm not surprised <laughs> in this movie. He had a wild wardrobe, too. Yes, he did. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown. Find me on social media at Crafting the Mind. And I'm comic enthusiast and professional nerd Keaton Hopkins. Check out my TV and movie reviews on YouTube at TeamJBS. Check out our website at bat-therapy.com, our Bat Therapy YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. See you next week. Same Bat time, same Bat channel.